It's Christmas again, and so once again, with the fantastic help of Christopher, I'm going to bring you a lovely French Christmas tale. The Louis d'Or by François Coppé. When Lucien de M saw his last bill for a hundred francs clawed by the banker's rake, when he rose from the roulette table where he had just lost the debris of his little fortune, scraped together for this supreme battle, he experienced something like vertigo and thought that he should fall. His brain was muddled, his legs were limp and trembling. He threw himself upon the leather banquette that circumscribed the gaming room. For a few moments, he mechanically followed the clandestine proceedings of that hell in which he had sullied the best years of his youth, recognised the worn profiles of the gamblers under the merciless glare of the three great shadeless lamps, listened to the clicking and the sliding of the gold over the felt, realised that he was bankrupt, lost, remembered that in the top drawer of his dressing table lay a pair of pistols, the very pistols of which General de M, his father, had made noble use at the attack of Zatcha. Then, overcome by exhaustion, he sank into a heavy sleep. When he awoke, his mouth was clammy and his tongue stuck to his palate. He realised by a hasty glance at the clock that he had scarcely slept half an hour and he felt the imperious necessity of going out to get a breath of fresh night air. The hands on the dial pointed exactly to a quarter to twelve. As he rose and stretched his arms, it occurred to him that it was Christmas Eve and by an ironic play of memory, he suddenly saw himself as a small child putting his boot into the fireplace before going to bed. Just then, old Dronsky, a Polish regular who never left the bar, wrapped in a greasy, worn cloak adorned with braids, came up to Lucien, muttering something behind his dirty, greyish beard. Lend me five francs, will you, monsieur? I haven't stirred from this place for two days, and for two whole days, seventeen hasn't come out once. You may laugh at me all you like, but I'll bet you my fist that when the clock strikes twelve, seventeen will be the winning number. Lucien de Hem shrugged his shoulders, and fumbling through his pockets, he found that he had not even enough money to comply with the gambling etiquette known amongst the frequenters of the establishment as the Poles' hundred cents. He passed into the antechamber, put on his hat and cloak, and disappeared down the narrow stairway with the agility of people who have a fever. During the four hours which Lucien had spent in the den, it had snowed heavily, and the street, one of those narrow wedges between two rows of high buildings in the very heart of Paris, was intensely white. Above, in the calm blue-black of the sky, cold stars glittered. The exhausted gambler shivered under his furs and hurried along with a blank despair in his heart, thinking of the pistols that awaited him in the top drawer of his dressing table. He had not gone a hundred feet when he stopped suddenly before a heart-rending spectacle. On a stone bench, near the monumental doorway of a wealthy residence, sat a little girl, six or seven years old, barely covered by a ragged black gown. She'd fallen asleep there in spite of the bitter cold, her body bent forward in a pitiful posture of resigned exhaustion. Her poor little head and her dainty shoulder had moulded themselves into the angle of the freezing wall. One of her worn slippers had fallen from her dangling foot and lay in the snow before her. 
Lucien de M mechanically thrust his hand into his vest pocket, but he remembered that he'd not even been able to fee the club waiter. He went up to the child, however, impelled by an instinct of pity. He meant, no doubt, to pick her up and take her home with him, to give her shelter for the night, when suddenly he saw something glitter in the little slipper at his feet. He stooped. It was a Louis d'Or. Some charitable soul, a woman, no doubt, had passed there and at the pathetic sight of that little shoe in the snow had remembered the poetic Christmas legend and with discreet fingers had dropped a splendid gift so that the forsaken little one might still believe in the presence of the child Christ and might awake with renewed faith in the midst of her misery. A gold Louis. That meant many days of rest and comfort for the little beggar. Lucien was just about to awaken her and surprise her with her good fortune when, in a strange hallucination, he heard a voice in his ear which whispered with the drawling inflection of the old pole, I haven't stirred from this place for two days, and for two whole days, Seventeen hasn't come out once. I'll bet you my fist that when the clock strikes twelve, Seventeen will be the winning number. Then, this youth who was 23 years of age, the descendant of a race of honest men, this youth who bore a great military name and had never been guilty of an unmanly act, conceived a monstrous thought. An insane desire took possession of him. He looked anxiously up and down the street, and having assured himself that he had no witness, he knelt and, reaching out cautiously with trembling fingers, stole the treasure from the little shoe then rose with a spring and ran breathlessly down the street. He rushed like a madman up the stairs of the gambling house, flung open the door with his fist and burst into the room. At the first stroke of midnight, he threw the gold piece on the table and cried, Seventeen! Seventeen won. He then pushed the whole pile on the red. The red won. He left the 72 Louis on the same colour. The red came out again. He doubled the stakes, twice, three times, and always with the same success. Before him was a huge pile of gold and banknotes. He tried the twelve, the column. He worked every combination. His luck was something unheard of, something almost supernatural. One might have believed that the little ivory ball in its frenzied dance around the table had been bewitched, magnetised by this feverish gambler, and obeyed his will. With a few bold strokes, he'd won back the bundle of banknotes, which he'd lost in the early part of the evening. Then he staked two and three hundred louis at a time. And as his fantastic luck never failed him, he soon won back the whole capital that had constituted his inherited fortune. In his haste to begin the game, he'd not even thought of taking off his fur-lined coat, the great pockets of which were now swollen with rolls of banknotes and heavy with the weight of gold. Not knowing where to put the money that was steadily accumulating before him, he stuffed it anyway in the inside and the outside pockets of his coat, his vest, his trousers, in his cigar case, his handkerchief. Everything became a recipient, and still he played, and still he won. His brain whirling like that of a drunkard or a madman. It was amazing to see him stand there throwing gold on the table by the handful with the haughty gesture of absolute certainty and disdain. But within, there was a gnawing at his heart, something that felt like a red-hot iron there, and he could not rid himself of the vision of that child asleep in the snow, the child whom he had robbed. In just a few minutes, he said, I'll go back to her. She must be there in the same place, of course she must be. It's no crime after all. 
I'll make it right up to her. It'll be no crime. Quite the contrary. I'll leave here in a few moments. When the clock strikes again, I swear it. Just as soon as the clock strikes again, I'll stop. I'll go straight to where she is. I'll take her up in my arms and I'll carry her home with me asleep. I've done her no harm. I've made a fortune for her. I'll keep her with me and educate her. I'll love her as I would a child of my own. And I'll take care of her, always, as long as she lives. But the clock struck one. A quarter past. Half past. And Lucian was still there. Finally, a few minutes before two, the man opposite him rose brusquely and said in a loud voice, The bank is broken, gentlemen. This will do for tonight. Lucian started and wedging his way brutally through the group of gamblers who pressed around him in envious admiration, hurried out into the street and ran as fast as he could towards the stone bench. In a moment he saw by the light of the gas that a child was still there. God be praised, he said, and his heart gave a great throb of joy. Yes, here she was. He took her little hand in his. Poor little hand, how cold it was. He caught her under her arms and lifted her. Her head fell back. But she did not wake. The happy sleep of childhood, he thought. He pressed her close to his breast to warm her, and with a vague presentiment, he tried to rouse her from this heavy sleep by kissing her eyelids. But he realised then with horror that through the child's half-open lids, her eyes were dull, glassy, fixed. A distracting suspicion flashed through his mind. He put his lips to the child's mouth. He felt no breath. While Lucien had been building a fortune with the Louis, stolen from this little one, she, homeless and forsaken, had perished with cold. Lucien felt a suffocating knot at his throat. In his anguish he tried to cry out, and in the effort which he made he awoke from this nightmare and found himself on the leather lounge in the gambling room, where he had fallen asleep a little before midnight. The garçon of the den had gone home at about five o'clock and out of pity had not woken him. A misty December dawn made the window panes pale. Lucien went out, pawned his watch, took a bath, then went over to the Bureau of Recruits and enlisted as a volunteer in the 1st Regiment of the Chasseurs d'Afrique. Lucien de M is now a lieutenant. He has not a cent in the world but his pay. He manages to make that do, however, for he is a steady officer and never touches a card. He even contrives to economise, it would seem. For a few days ago, a comrade, who was following him up one of the steep streets of the Casbah, saw him stop to lay a piece of money in the lap of a little Spanish girl who'd fallen asleep in a doorway. His comrade was startled at the poor lieutenant's generosity, for this piece of money was a gold louis. I hope you enjoyed that story. I certainly did. And I thought I'd just end with a little biography about François Coppé so we can place him and learn a little bit for our podcast. So François Coppé was born in 1884. He lived and died in Paris. He's buried in Montparnasse Cemetery if you'd like to pay him a visit. His background is relatively humble. His father was a civil servant, but he went on to study at a very good school and achieved success in his career. He was awarded the Legion d'honneur and ended up with the Immortals at the Académie Française in 1884, I presume until his death in 1908. Um, he wrote plays which were very successful. His first, Le Passant, starred Sarah Bernhardt, no less. 
but he was perhaps most famous for his poetry. He took particular notice of the lives of the poor and was known as Le Poète des Humbles, the poet of the humble people, with works including La Mort de Oiseau, The Death of Birds, or Je suis un pâle enfant de vieux Paris. I am a child of old Paris and I'm going to get a child of, well, not old Paris, but Paris, to read you a few lines. Je suis un pâle enfant du vieux Paris et j'ai le regret de rêveurs qui n'ont pas voyagé. As you can probably hear from that, they rhyme and poet Arthur Rambo liked to poke fun at Coupé for this cosy rhyming style and published a number of parodies of his poems. But before you feel too sorry for old François, he was also a bit of a wrong'un. He was interested in politics. And when he saw the whole debacle around the Dreyfus affair happening, I am sorry to say that he decided instead of supporting him, he joined the Ligue de la Patrie Française, the French Homeland League, which was a French nationalistic and anti-Dreyfus, which I can't help reading as anti-Semitic organisation, although I haven't looked into it in detail. Essentially, they wanted to show that not all intellectuals were left-wing, proving that you could read philosophy and still be awful. They attacked Zola, who came out in favour of Dreyfus with his famous letter J'accuse, uh, and to which Coppé had apparently begged Zola not to write. Nonetheless, his classic story, The Louis d'Or, is a rather touching Christmas tale, I think. We have our protagonist, Lucien, who is rather useless and greedy and selfish, uh, stealing the golden Louis from a poor Parisian street child, which brings him fortune, but ultimately moral awakening, although the child must die in order for this to happen. But don't worry... It's not real. It was just a dream. A bit like Scrooge, really, isn't it? Um, and so Lucien is able to go on and mend his ways. And the only person that hurt was a child of his dreams, the potential child. But, uh, you know, an interesting story nonetheless. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the story, whether you liked it or not. Um, and whatever you're up to these holidays, I hope they are full of good things. I look forward to hearing from you and bringing more episodes out in 2023. That's all for now. Bye. Bye.